It's wonderful to sing with you tonight, wonderful to have so many with us and, and to have some visitors with us tonight. Good friends of ours that we've known for many years are here with us. I think they've been vacationing in the Tampa area and came down tonight. We're so glad to see them and, and all of you. Thankful for the good prayer and Larry's good leading and the songs that we've sung have already helped us to prepare ourselves to continue in our worship of God and our study of His Word. Tomorrow night, uh, as you may know from the announcement concerning the topics of the meeting, the subjects, I'd like to think with you about heaven and a special lesson about what heaven will be like. And we hope that you'll be able to be with us and that will complete our study through this gospel meeting. Tonight, I want to think with you about what I call man's most dangerous habit. And it may be since these topics have been announced that you've been able to give some thought to what that habit might be. And you might have some idea about what we're going to be talking about tonight. I know someone might think that I'm going to suggest that we're talking about smoking. And I think smoking is a very dangerous habit. I, I'm overwhelmed when I think about the progress that has been made over just the last few years to curtail smoking. All of the public service announcements and the teaching that has been done and laws that have been changed and uh, so many things that have helped people to consider the fact that this is a dangerous habit. When you think about how we have reports from doctors and scientists about the dangers of smoking, when you think about personal examples of those who've had their lives shortened because of smoking, and think of the many attempts to help people to try to quit, we recognize that this is indeed a very dangerous habit. But as dangerous as it is, I do not believe that it is man's most dangerous habit. Someone might be thinking that we're talking about sexual immorality tonight, and certainly the prevalence of sexual sins is something that is very disturbing. We see how our country is overrun by the thinking and the suggestiveness of the whole subject of sexual immorality. And when we see this kind of sin develop into a way of life, we recognize how very dangerous it can be. As dangerous as it is, I do not believe it is man's most dangerous habit. Some people might suggest that we're maybe talking about gambling tonight. And probably a lot of people would say, oh no, that's not nearly as bad as many other things. Society has accepted gambling to the point today that most people would see nothing wrong in engaging in it. But we know from our past that so many preachers and teachers have tried to teach us about the dangers of gambling and the things that are associated with it. Someone who has become trapped in this habit might make a very good case about it being so dangerous, about how that kind of gambling habit develops over a period of time. You start out and you think that you have control and pretty soon you find that you're compelled uh, to engage in it. And the way the, the habit develops and takes hold on so many people, there are so many uh, today that are addicted to gambling. And we even have billboards and signs that suggest where we can call to get some help with that. Uh, I think about all the many people that sadly have had their lives disrupted, 
have lost their life savings, who have sold their homes and had no place to live, who have gone into debt and had so many troubled things happen in their life because of gambling addiction that we see today. But even though it's something that's prevailing more and more and very dangerous, I do not believe it is man's most dangerous habit. Many of you are probably thinking about alcohol and alcohol addiction. And all of us have seen what it can do. Most of us have some family member, someone that we know, maybe someone in the Lord's church that we have known, and the terrible trouble that has come to them because of this dangerous habit. And though it may seem to begin quite innocently for a lot of people, just a party indulgent or beer with somebody after school or after work, whether you're young or old, it certainly can develop into something that you've just got to have. It's an addiction for many people, and they need it. It has to be a part of their life until it begins to wreck and destroy everything that is precious. But as dangerous as alcohol is, I do not believe that it's man's most dangerous habit. Someone else might suggest that we're talking about other drugs and we all know what drug abuse has done to so many and to our country today. This is one of the biggest problems that we have. So many young people are, are taking their own lives. And my own family, um, uh, a person in my own family was lost a few years ago. And I have um, another person in my family that I pray for almost daily, thinking about her and the possible addiction that is already developed in her life. Drug and alcohol abuse today is one of the greatest problems that we have. Society is observing the wreck of lives, both young and old. But as dangerous as these drugs are, I do not believe that they are man's most dangerous habit. And there are so many other sins that we could mention. Um, things like lying and stealing and cheating and slander and gossip and other sins. But I do not believe that any of them alone are the most dangerous habit that we all have to deal with. So you're probably thinking, well, what is it, Bob? What, what is it that you're thinking about tonight? Why don't you get on to it and tell us what uh, you believe it is? I want to seriously suggest to you tonight that I believe man's most dangerous habit is the habit of saying tomorrow. I know that shocks us a little bit, no doubt, whenever you first hear about it. We say, well, that couldn't be nearly as bad as these other things that we've been mentioning already. After all, we would say, I say that all the time. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'll get around to that tomorrow. And that is the reason we do not realize the seriousness of it. It's because we're all so guilty of doing it. First of all, I say it is man's most dangerous habit because it is responsible for our failure to break the other bad habits that we've just mentioned. You know, the one who is smoking knows all the facts, has heard all the facts, and knows the danger, knows the effect that it would have, not just upon the voice or the breathing, but uh, in the long term, what can happen to you if you continue to smoke? We recognize that we're not going to be covered as well with an insurance policy if we smoke. 
And we recognize that if we continue on, it's going to affect our health and our livelihood. It may turn people off that are around us. And, and yet, you feel like you must have it, those that are addicted to it. And so, I'm going to quit, the smoker says. I know I need to quit, and I'm going to quit tomorrow. But, of course, they're so needful of that cigarette tonight. I've got to have one before I go to bed. I've got to have it, and I'll quit sometime soon. Those that are involved in a sexual affair or those that are involved in something that is sexually immoral know that they need to quit what they're doing. They know the danger of what they're engaging in. They know that if people find out, it could ruin their life, it could ruin their reputation, it could ruin their family, it could destroy everything in their life. And so they say, I know I need to stop this. I know this is not right. But I have to see him, or I have to see her tonight, and I'll quit tomorrow. The gambler knows that he can't always win. Um, I'm not sure. I'm sorry, I've not got the right charts up here. Um, looks like I've jumped, and I'm sorry about that. Well, I don't know where I should be. <laughs> and that's a dangerous thing. The, the gambler knows that he needs to quit, but he's got a sure thing tonight. He'll clean up tonight and he'll quit tomorrow. Someone who is an alcoholic knows that he needs to stop drinking. He knows the danger that it has to him. He knows the effect that it has on his family in a negative way. And he's going to quit, but he needs a drink to steady himself tonight. And so he says, I'll quit tomorrow. And so it is with other drugs. Uh, we know that many people recognize the danger that they're in. They are uh, frightened by what they know has happened to so many people. They've read, they've seen, they're aware of those that have given their lives because they felt they needed those drugs. And they intend to quit. They intend to get off of it. They intend to make a better life for themselves. But they just turn back to it again and again. And so they say, I'm going to stop tomorrow. I think the same thing is true with other sins. Tomorrow is the time we say we'll finally get things straightened out. This is man's most dangerous habit because it keeps us from stopping the things, the failure to break all the other bad habits that we've talked about. People say, I'll get around to quitting that. I'll get off of that. I'll quit doing what I know is bad for me, and I'll do that tomorrow. And so this is the reason why I believe saying tomorrow is one of the, bad, of the worst bad habits that all of us have. Secondly, this habit keeps us from beginning many good things that we would otherwise likely begin if we didn't put things off. Things that we know we should do, but we don't always do them. And we say, I'll need to do better. I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'll get busy and get started on that which I ought to be doing. Think about things like our duties and responsibilities to God. I need to be more involved. I need to be more responsible. I know I have a duty to use my talents for the Lord. And so I'll get involved at church. I'll do more. I'll help more. I'll give more. I'll share the gospel with those who are lost. We know that we need that. We know we need greater study and we need 
greater habits of meditation and prayer. We need to be closer to God. And we are going to do better, we say. We'll, we'll do that tomorrow. We sometimes realize that we need to make our worship more heartfelt and sincere. That sometimes we've sat in the assembly and we really didn't sing like we should or prayed like we should or thought about the Lord as we should whenever we eat the Lord's Supper. We need to be more heartfelt and sincere in our worship. We realize we need to crucify the flesh with the lusts and the passions thereof. This is something that we ought to be doing, letting the Spirit of God direct us in our lives, that we've not been doing that like we should. And we say, I'm going to get around to doing that. For some people, it's obeying the gospel. I know I need to obey. I've never obeyed. I've never been baptized. I come because I know it's a good thing or because my family expects me to. I know that I need to obey the gospel, but people say, I'll get around to that sometime. And many of them never do. There are those that know they need to repent of their sins and they need to live a better life. But nobody knows really what they're doing and so they feel like they can put that off. And maybe I need to do that. Maybe I should do that sooner rather than later. But they go on saying tomorrow. Tomorrow is the time I'll get around to seeing to those things I need to do. You know, tomorrow is the day that never seems to come. We often plan so many things that we intend to do tomorrow. If we say, I'll do that Monday, or what is tonight? Um, uh, Tuesday. I'll do that Tuesday. Now, if you said it about Monday and Monday passed and here it is Tuesday, then you really haven't kept your word. But we say, I'll get around to that by the end of the month. And then the end of the month comes, and somebody realizes they haven't done what they intended to do or what they said they'd do. They haven't made a real definite plan. But when we say, I'll try to do that tomorrow, it's just so easy to say, well, I didn't get to that today, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And it seems like tomorrow never comes. There's always another tomorrow right around the corner or the next day. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for how do you know what a day may bring? Or another version says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You don't know what might interfere with your plans for tomorrow. And yet we continue to say, I'll get around to that the next day, the next tomorrow. The Bible tells us, I believe, of three things that may rob us of the tomorrow that we think we may have. And so for the next few minutes, I'd like to think with you about those three things. The Bible very clearly is warning us, as we've seen from Proverbs, that we cannot boast about tomorrow. And there are things that may take place that will keep us from having the tomorrow that we think that we may have. Number one on my list is the return of Jesus Christ. The first and second Thessalonian letters show us a very graphic picture and promise of the Lord's return. If you have your Bible tonight, you might want to join me in looking at some thoughts in 1 Thessalonians and then in 2 Thessalonians. First of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
verse 13 through 5 and verse 6. This is where the Apostle Paul is talking about the day of the Lord and the Lord's coming back to this earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Paul writes and says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. We recognize that day is going to come. We believe that day is going to come because that's the promise our Lord made. This is the promise that we have in the Word of God. And when that day comes, it'll be too late to do what we've said we're going to do tomorrow. Look at the second Thessalonian letter at the same opening. It should be in your Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Paul, writing to the same church, says, And um, to give to you, uh, who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. How long since you thought about that as a child of God? How, how long has it been since you thought it might come, it might be soon, it might be during my lifetime. It might be before I die. But many times we just put it beyond us. We just don't think about it. We don't think that it could possibly be. Why things have gone on for so long. People have lived and people have died and the earth continues to spin and everybody continues to go do what they want as long as they're alive and we just don't believe maybe it's going to happen. You know, if no, no one thought about it today, if none of us thought today might be the day, then Jesus said it would probably be a good time for him to come because he said, in a day in which you think not, the Son of Man cometh. When I was younger, I used to love to sing the song when the roll is called up yonder. I, I was a youngster when I'd ask my grandfather, Grandfather Long, I'm sure Larry and Linda remember him, um, I'd ask him to lead that song. Grandpa would sometimes lead the singing and I'd ask him. He knew that was my favorite song and 
he'd kind of act like he was put out that I asked him. But then Grandma told us later that it made him so happy <laughs> when I did. And so I guess I did it more often. But I love to sing that song. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I think I was too young to understand really what I was singing about. But I knew I wanted to be there. Everybody else was singing they wanted to be there. And when the roll is called up yonder, I don't believe I had any idea what that was about. But I wanted to be there too. And as time went on, of course, that song meant more to me when I, I came to think about what it was really uh, seek, uh, saying and speaking about. I can remember as a teenager thinking about the coming of the Lord. And back in those days, we would uh, not living too far from an airport and, and having jet planes uh, go overhead, we would sometimes hear a sonic boom. And when I heard a sonic boom, first thing I thought about, is this the Lord coming? Is this the time that He's going to come? I can remember thinking as a teenager about some temptation, you know, hiding my sister's dolls or taking a quarter off of Dad's uh, nightstand or something like that, and thinking to myself, you don't want to do that, Bob. You don't want to do that um, and be guilty. And if the Lord would come and you didn't make that right, you just don't want to do that. But many times we don't think that way. As time goes by, we sometimes forget to think about it at all. Have any of us thought about that uh, happening sometime soon? Probably not. And if not, it'd be a good time for the Lord to come. In such a day as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Oh, I know that people today scoff at the idea of the Lord coming back so soon. And they think, well, things are still going on like they always have. I don't see any sign of change. And scholars and scientists go on talking about what it's going to be like in the year 2050, or what America is going to be like 100 or 200 years from now. I'm kind of scared to wonder about it. As if there is no possibility of the Lord bringing this life to an end. You know, the Lord said it would be that way. And Peter tells us that it would be that way when the Lord comes. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, listen to what Peter says. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And then he says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens that were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. He says, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved, by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen to it now, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons 
ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. This is what we must always remember, that the Lord will come and this will happen. In verse 10, we're assured that the day of the Lord will come. And when Jesus comes, as we sometimes say, tomorrow's sun will never rise to bless thy long deluded sight. This is the time. Oh, then be wise. And whatever you need to do, do it now. Do it while you can. Well, there's another thing that can rob us each of tomorrow, and that is our eventual death. I should be showing you these passages. I'm sorry about that. Our eventual death will certainly rob us of the tomorrow we think that we're going to have. In James chapter 4, James talks about this and about making our plans. I think probably this is one of the most difficult passages for most of us that we might find in the Bible because we're all so guilty of doing what James tells us we shouldn't do. He says in James chapter 4, verse 13, Come now. Sometimes we know people used to say, Come, come now. When they're trying to help you to recognize that maybe you're not thinking right or you're not doing right. Come now. You who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You know, this is something we don't usually think about. We don't really believe that we're doing anything wrong whenever we make our plans and say we're definitely going to do this. We're definitely going to go. Tomorrow, this is what we're going to do. And we don't stop to think about it might, ha might not happen. It might not be the kind of day that we think we're going to have. There might be something that will prevent us. Something might happen to us. You know, James says that when we make these plans and we declare that we're going to do something without considering the fact we might not be able to, then we're boasting. And all such boasting is evil. He says what we should do is to say, if the Lord will, we shall both live and do this or that. I grew up around grandparents that said that all the time. And my parents said that. You know, we'll go do this, the Lord willing. I remember my grandmother, almost everything she said about the future and about what she would do the next day or soon was prefaced with that, if the Lord will. We ought to think that way. We ought to speak that way. We ought to recognize that our hands are in the hand of the Lord. Our life is something that is not controlled by ourselves. Did you notice here what it says that your life is like? James says, your life is like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, since I've been coming down here a couple of times earlier to visit you and uh, this trip, a lot of people have given me directions. I need directions. I need help with directions many times. Uh, Charlotte 
uh, puts addresses in her phone now, and we have a lady that speaks from the phone to tell us where to turn and do everything. I really like it. Um, so Charlotte is a, a good guide for me in that regard. Um, but people have told me, go to such and such a street, and at that street you need to take a right, or you need to take a left, or, or go to that building, go to that store, or look out for this place. And whenever you see that stop sign, or you see that building, or you see that landmark, that's where you need to turn, or that's where you need to go. But you know, no one has ever told me, Bob, as you're going down the road, just look for that big white fluffy cloud up there in the sky that's, that's you know, uh, like a, a finger pointing. And when you see that cloud with that finger pointing and you get to that place, that's where you need to turn. No one's ever told me to do that. And if they did, I'd think they were crazy. Because how do you know what that cloud's going to be like and whether it'll still be there when I get there? You know, it's, it's just silly. But that's what our life is like, a billowy cloud that changes shape and is soon gone. It is like the, the steam that comes from the tea kettle whenever Charlotte makes me a cup of tea every Sunday night. I've got to have a cup of tea before I preach. And I see that steam coming out, and I say to myself, Bob, there's your life, there's your life. You know, you're here, and you're gone. And you better remember that. And you better make uh, sure that you're ready for that. That's what our life is like. And we need to recognize that we may never have the tomorrow that we think we're going to have. It's something that can vanish like the steam from a tea kettle, like a cloud from the sky. Death can take away the tomorrow we think we're going to have. You know, in my lifetime, I've driven on a lot of dangerous roads. In England, whenever I was in the Air Force over there, and we got a car, we had to drive on the wrong side of the road. And, you know, there were these officers at the base that had these great big Cadillacs, and I'm telling you, it was really dangerous going down the road. And sometimes you'd have to remind yourself, stay on the wrong side of the road, because that's the way they drive over here. And then we went overseas, and we, we drove on the continent, and we had a little Volkswagen, and in Paris, we realized it was dangerous to even be there in an automobile honking their horns at you and cutting you off. And it, I just thought, Charlotte, we're not going to survive this place. In Germany, on the Autobahn, we got out with our little Volkswagen, and everybody was going 180. You know, and I'd get that Volkswagen up to the greatest speed I could have been, about 65 or 70, and pass maybe someone that was going real slow. But before I could get around them, here was a big Mercedes coming down on me going 180. And I thought, you could be killed in a moment here. In New Jersey, when I was going to the plane at the air base that would take me overseas, the, the fellow in, in the car that was driving, the chauffeur, uh, was driving a car, and there were two or three of us airmen in that uh, vehicle. And as we were going down this highway in New Jersey, I'd never been in New Jersey before, but I kept seeing these signs, Death Highway, Death Highway, about every... Two or three miles, there was a sign, Death Highway. I, I said to the driver, what does that mean, sir? And he said, oh, mister, he says, we have accidents, terrible accidents on this highway, and people are killed all the time. I said, please drive carefully. But you know, nothing happened to me on that road. And then, you know, when we moved to Ohio after I came back from the Air Force, uh, we lived there. Um, 
we saw bumper stickers on the back of cars that said, pray for me, I drive Ohio Route 7. And I asked somebody, what are they talking about? Oh, that's a real hilly and mountainous uh, road, and people get in trouble and run off the road, and they, they have crashes all the time, and that's why they have that bumper sticker. When I was preaching in Louisville years ago, Odd McKee uh, told me that Dixie Highway was called by most of the people there Dixie Dieway, and I, I thought, boy, I don't know if I want to be on that road, but you know what? I've been on all of those roads, all of those highways, and I never did die on any of them, as dangerous as they were. You can think about thousands of people that drive on those dangerous highways all the time, and they do not die. But all of us are on a road on which we're going to die someday. It's the highway of life. And unless Jesus comes first, that's what's going to happen to us because we can't live forever. And whenever that happens, we need to recognize it's appointed by God. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We can't be sure when it will be. No one is immune from it, and very often there's no warning. And for friends and family and loved ones that we've known, we know it happens, and we know it will happen. No tomorrow. He was going to be all that a mortal should be tomorrow. No one should be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary, he knew he'd be glad for a lift, and he needed it too. On him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he'd stack up the letters he'd write tomorrow and thought of the folks he'd fill with delight tomorrow. It was too bad indeed he was busy today and hadn't a moment to stop on his way. More time he would have, he'd say, tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow. The world would have known him had he seen tomorrow. But the fact is, he died and he faded from view. And all that he left here when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. I found that poem and I said, Bob, you need to memorize this and you need to write, recite it to yourself every day <laughs> because I realized I procrastinated a lot. I put things off. I still do many times. And you know, it's a dangerous thing because someday we won't be here to do what we planned, what we purposed, what we'd like, what we should. And that's why we need to be sure that we're doing today what we need to do. Well, there's one other thing the Bible warns us about concerning this robbing us of tomorrow, the tomorrow we think we're going to have. And I guess the best way to say it is the Bible calls it hardness of heart or the deceitfulness of sin. Look at the statement made by the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 3. If you'll turn there, I'll read that in just a moment. This is not something that keeps tomorrow from coming, like the second coming or our own death. But instead, it keeps tomorrow from being what we think it's going to be, an occasion for something that should be done. We, we assume that we're going to have tomorrow. And because we get in the rut of just habitually doing what we do, we do not think about what we should be doing. And many times we harden our heart, and so it keeps tomorrow from being what we hoped or what we thought it might be. 
Our motivation today may not be the same as it will be tomorrow. Can I give you a couple of quick examples of what I'm talking about from my own life? First about, of all, about the idea of, of what you're going to get or what you're going to do tomorrow. When I was um, just a youngster, I began to try to work at little jobs when I could. And it was hard to do that because my, my parents... Um, didn't believe in giving an allowance, and Dad believed that you should work if you wanted to make money. So I had to find little jobs, and I, I would mow grass, and I would do some things. I would save my money, and I had already determined what I wanted. There were two things that I wanted back then. I, I wanted to have a telescope. I needed a telescope. I don't know how anyone could get along without a telescope, I said. And the other thing was um, an air rifle, a, a Red Rider air rifle. I just needed that. My mother was afraid of what I'd shoot at, but I knew I needed it. And so I tried to save my money. And you know, in both cases, I had the money, but by the time I had the right amount, I'd changed my mind. I remember I finally counted up my nickels and dimes and quarters, and I, I ran and got the Sears catalog and made sure I had the exact amount of that uh, of that. Uh, uh, spyglass that, that uh, I've lost uh, the word for it, the telescope. And, and I ran to Dad and showed him the catalog and said, look, I've got the exact amount. I'll never forget what he said. What about the shipping charges? And I, I hadn't even thought about that. It was too much. And I, by, the, by the time um, I could have gotten it, I didn't want it anymore. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. You know, you want something so much, but then you get to the point where you don't. And that's the way it is with the, the hardness of heart, the, the difficulty of sin in our lives, changing our thinking, changing the way we live. Let me give you an example of the other. You know, of wanting something so much, but not getting it. The example of fearing something so much, but getting over it. Mother didn't, didn't drive. My mom never learned to drive, never wanted to learn to drive. Dad drove. And so when Mother and I went to Indianapolis one day from out in the country, we had to go to the bus. Someone took us to uh, the bus to get on, and we went to downtown Indianapolis. I, I was the oldest, and I'd never been downtown. And Mother wanted to show me the Soldiers and Sailors Monument and several other things in downtown Indianapolis. It was, it was a great day. We went to a restaurant. And uh, we shopped, and, but there, there was something shocking that happened to me that day. We were walking down the street on the sidewalk, and we came upon this poor man that had no legs. No legs and no arms. And he was, he was leaning up against the building. He had cushions that he could sit on. He was selling pencils for the money that people would put in his cup. But I, I was shocked. I'd never seen anyone without limbs a man who had no arms and no legs. And I was staring, and Mother said, don't stare, and she pulled me away. But I had a hundred questions as we walked on down the sidewalk. What happened to that man? Uh, Mother didn't know, of course. I said, who puts him there? What happens if he falls over? How does he get home? You know, I, I couldn't get that man out of my mind. And that night, and for the next week or two, I had nightmares that I was that man, falling over, you know, not able to walk, not able to reach out and get anything. 
scared me to death. So frightened. But you know what? We went back. Uh, Dad took us back later, and I wanted to see that man again. And we went, and he was in the very same place. And I, by that time, I had a few coins, and I put my coins in his cup, and I said, you don't have to give me the pencil. I just want you to have the money. And you know, he didn't bother me. It didn't frighten me. I'd gotten over it, and it didn't bother me at all. Now, here's what I'm saying. You can want to go to heaven so much today, tonight. You can dream about it. You can talk about it. You can think about it. You can be assured of it. But what makes you sure that you're going to feel the same way tomorrow or somewhere else on down the line? Things can change. People can change. And you can be fearful tonight of what hell is like. And you can say, I certainly don't want to end up there. And when I read about that in the Bible, I think that would be a terrible way to realize the mistake you'd made for eternity. And the fact that you've been in the church, that you've been a part of the Lord's body, that you've been around people that were godly, that you had all these helps, that you had all this encouragement, that you were on the right track, but somewhere you got off. And now you've got to spend eternity in the devil's hell. It just is an indication of what the Scripture says, that because of the hardness of the heart and because of the, the sins of our lives, what we think and what we want today, tonight, may not be what we think and want tomorrow. Tomorrow may not be the day that we think it's going to be. Well, we can be filled with the thought of heaven today, but we need to think about it every day and be motivated every day. Maybe you're thinking right now, there, there are some things that I, that I can't do. I can't get to that person and make things right that I wronged some years ago. I can't make it right with somebody for a while. And I realize that. All of us have that situation, no doubt, at times. But I believe with all my heart that we can do what we need to do to be right with God tonight. We can make sure that we're right with Him. And then when we get the opportunity to make up for those things, the mistakes of the past, we can do that. And so tonight I hope that you're of that mind, that, uh, that disposition, that you realize that tonight is the most important time for us to consider where we are spiritually. Because who knows, tomorrow's sun may never rise. We may not live through the night. Something may happen to us, and we need to be ready. And if we're not ready, then we're not prepared for the coming of our Lord. We're not prepared for the day of our death. We're certainly not prepared for the future. And that's why we need to make sure that our life is right with God tonight. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us could leave, live here, leave here tonight thinking, I'm, I'm right with God. Things are right in this world because of God. Because of the Lord Jesus, I know I'm ready. If we can help you in any way to make that preparation tonight, we hope you'll come while we stand and while we sing.